O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me from the sake, for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. That is Psalm 6, which along with Psalm 5 are the psalms appointed for today, Tuesday, October the 12th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing to look at the life of Jeremiah, uh, particularly as it relates to the end of the kingdom of Judah after when, when it's overrun by the Babylonians. And so the uh, passage today under consideration is Jeremiah 36, verse 27 through chapter 37, verse 2. Also, we're in 1 Corinthians still, the 14th chapter, the first 12 verses of that. Uh, and then Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 16 to 23. And the reason I read that particular um, psalm is is that we go through these seasons in our lives. Is the beauty of the book of Psalms is that, that they it's an unrestrained conversation with God. David, David and, and the others who wrote the psalms made no attempt to, to hide their feelings from him. They, they poured out their hearts before him in all things. And so here we hear David asking how long. How long is this going to go on uh, with these problems? And he says, in death there's no remembrance of you, and Sheol, who will give you praise? In other words, don't, don't cast me down. There's still much for me to do. Please allow me to live, deliver my life, and save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Not because of anything that I've done, but simply because I'm appealing to the character of God. And that's exactly what we're seeing in, in the prophet is he gave them an opportunity to repent. He gave the king an opportunity to repent, and in spite of that, Jehoiakim took the words of the scroll that he had written, God's judgment, and burned it with fire as though he could annul the judgment of God simply by denying it to be real. It, it's an absolutely amazing thing, but he remember he is a, an idol worshiper. Jehoiakim was. And, and so here now... After he burns the scroll, with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came again to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, you've burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and will cut off from it man and beast? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat by day and the frost by night. And I'll punish him and his offering and his servants for their iniquity. I'll bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, but they would not hear. So it's God said, look, I gave you a chance. I gave you fair warning and you decided to toss my words into the fire. Well, my words are eternal. We can do as many scrolls as are necessary. But the words that I speak aren't just written on scrolls. They are as though the same as when the world was created by the word of God. 
And so he's saying, my words are going to come true. You rejecting them just means that I'm rejecting you as well. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. In other words, that that's not enough. I'm, I'm going to come out a little more strongly than that. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim. So remember that, that the king of Babylon set up this Zedekiah, whom he named as well. So he set him up in favor of, the, in, instead of, Kaniah, the son of Jehoiakim, which was in fulfillment of God's word that you will have none sit on the throne of David. And so he, God's will comes about there. His word comes about in the replacement of Kaniah with Zedekiah. But neither he, Jehoiakim, nor his servants, nor the people of the land listened to the words of the Lord that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. So that's that's not just, I'm sorry, neither he nor his servants refers to Zedekiah. So nobody would hear the word of the Lord, and Zedekiah it would have been difficult for him to hear it because he was a vassal king. He was appointed not by God, but by the king of Babylon. So in his mind, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was his king and his God because he knew that he served at the pleasure of that God. The more that people realize that all we do, we serve at the pleasure of God, he can remove us at any time. We can get too big for our britches. We can get to the place where we no longer care about the will of God. We're, we're in fact, looking at something different than that, and, and we believe that, that man has put us in the positions that we occupy, and so now we serve to please man rather than to please God, whether that's in, in business whether it's in, in uh, civil service or, or whether it's in ministry. We have to remember there that who we're truly serving in this life is him. And so that, that informs our ethics and our values. The fact that we, we don't serve him, it should make us fearless. It should make us fearless with the truth, that, that the truth is the most important thing that we have to be committed to, not to pleasing man. It might cost us our jobs, but... The reality is that, that that is a temporary issue, not a permanent issue. And so we've always got to remember who we serve in, in every aspect of our lives. In the gospel today, Jesus, remember, had sent the 12 out. And, and so he's sending them out to go proclaim the kingdom in word and deed. And now what we get is, is the further instructions. Remember he told them, find a place of peace, find a household where you can stay while you're there and stay the whole time. Don't move around. Stay in one place and stay in one household. And so now he says, I'm sending you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. And remember, the only people that he's sending them to are the lost sheep of Israel. So when he says this, he's speaking about their own people. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And here again, we go back to this fear of man, fear of God thing. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. So we're talking about the Jews. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. 
He's, so he's saying, don't worry about the Gentiles. That's going to get taken care of. And the way it's going to get taken care of is, is played out in Paul's life, because Paul, remember, gets dragged before governors and kings for the sake of Jesus to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And so he's just sending these out to the Jews, to their fellow countrymen, their fellow religionists, and saying it's not going to go well. Ultimately, what's going to happen is is that that you're going to be turned over, for my sake, to trial. And they'll flog you in the synagogues. I mean, it's unbelievable that, that that's true. But then we see it in the book of the Acts. We see it to be absolutely true. The Word of God came true in the way that Paul was treated, particularly. But then we also know how the lives of the apostles ended. And it ends exactly the way Jesus said it would end, with with persecution. So when they deliver you over, though, don't be anxious how you're going to speak or what you're going to say. Don't, don't write something up. Don't think about this in advance. Don't worry about it. For what you're to say will be given to you in that hour. It's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. In the same way that God spoke through Jeremiah and and to Baruch, who who took the dictation and then read that to the king and his servants. He says, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And what a sad, sad commentary that is, but, but there's huge truth in it. I certainly know families that are greatly divided because um, one is not just a professing Christian, but, but a person who realizes that it's everything. It's not just something tacked onto the household. It, it is the household. Everything else has to be ordered around your faith. Everything has to be ordered around Jesus. And, and then then everything can find its place, not the other way around. I mean, people can get termed as fanatics, but with the reality, you can't. There are certainly fanatics, but but if it's just we're talking about somebody who follows the Lord and seeks the Lord in all things and sets Him first in life and orders the rest of life around Him, that's not a fanatic. That's a Christian. That that is that is what a Christian life is supposed to look like. Unfortunately, it's an extremely rare thing to see a life so completely centered on Jesus as as the apostles' lives were and as our lives are intended to be. And it will, if you take it that seriously, if you allow that to become first in your life, it will cause problems among those who who want something else and something less than that, and who want other things to be ultimate rather than him. He says, But the one endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And so exactly that, that is what happens, is that, that Jesus comes in that way. He comes to save us, and, and the hour comes for him. In the epistle, remember, Paul has spoken yesterday about the gifts being nothing if you don't have love. So here he says, pursue love. Let me strive after it. Chase hard after love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. And I've been around charismatic movement uh, for quite a long time, and how this part right here gets missed, I have no earthly idea. Because you can, you can, in some places you can see where it, tongues, is set above everything else. And anybody who doesn't speak in tongues is looked on with some suspicion about whether they've actually been filled with the Holy Spirit. I've heard many different um, interpretations and, and ways of getting to that or getting around it one way or another. There are people who believe that all people who are truly filled with the Spirit should all speak in tongues, and, and they'll cite passages like Ephesians, and um, not when the Ephesians uh, the, receive the Spirit after Paul prays for them, and then they begin to speak in tongues. And then also that happens in Samaria early on in, in uh, Acts 8. And so they'll quote that as evidence that everyone should speak in tongues, but they don't quote this passage here where Paul says, I wish that everybody did. I think it'd be great. But, but Paul says that, that that's not the, the case. And so, but it, but it can be set as the badge of a Christian in a lot of places. And, and so I've heard it said that everybody should speak in tongues if they're filled with the Spirit. If they haven't been, if they're not speaking in tongues, they haven't been filled with the Spirit. And the second thing that I've heard said in this same regard is, is that, that everybody could speak. If you're filled with the Spirit, you could speak in tongues. It, it is absolutely there as a gift for you. You just have to be willing for it to be unlocked. Well, I don't buy that either for the same reasons. Paul says desire prophecy, desire to prophesy, because when you speak in a tongue, unless there's somebody there to interpret that tongue, then it doesn't do anything except for sort of build you up. And I've certainly seen people who are puffed up in that gift as though it were the gift that that was above all others. But Paul says, you know, desire the gifts that are valuable in the church, valuable to other people. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will it benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? I've, I've got to have more to offer you than that. Otherwise, it's just between me and God. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or harp, don't give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? I mean, that would be sort of experimental jazz, right? <laughs> um, and if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who, who will get ready for battle? So that, that bugler has to play the right call in order to, to get people to go into battle. Otherwise, they're going to be confused about what they're being told by that instrument. He said, so with yourselves, if your tongue, with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. We won't be able to communicate with one another. Now, that's not entirely true, but it is true when it comes to language. I can remember being in Puerto Rico years ago and, and the place where we needed to be to, find, to go through some documents. Um, this is when I was doing expert testimony work. But we needed to find so go through some documents because nobody had ever inventoried or, or, as far as we knew, even looked at them after they put them in the boxes. So, but the power was out. The the, um, the there were no lights there, so we needed to go get some flashlights and batteries too. <laughs> and so um, we went to a, a department store in San Juan, and I had been listening to some um, some tapes 
to, to learn to speak Spanish, right? And so I've been listening to that on the way down and, and while I was at home as well on the weekends. And so I felt like I knew something here, right? So I knew how to say where is or where are, donde esta, right? So uh, I knew how to say that, but I didn't know what the word was for batteries. And so I asked somebody, and I thought, this is fantastic. So I walk into the store, me and a, a, an attorney who I who had been working with us, and he'd been there a week or so before as well. And so we go into the department store. I walk up to the guy, so proud and so cocky. I walked up to the to the sales guy, and I said, donde esta linternas? And the guy starts responding to me, he's on and on and on. And then uh, I thanked him. And then we went on our way and we, I went right to the batteries. And, and the attorney looked at me and said, I'm just shocked that you learned so much Spanish in a week. He said, I, you know, I know last week you didn't know any Spanish. I said, no, I took French in high school and college. But, um, you know, there's some crossover between them. And he said, well, how did you know what he said? I said, I have no earthly idea what he said. He pointed and so we, I went in the direction he pointed. That was the only thing I knew to do. And so I, there was a presumption that we had a, a conversation, but there was not actually a conversation there. And that's what Paul's getting at here. And then he says, so with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, since you actually want to see the Spirit move and you want to see manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. And that, that's an important call for all of us. When, when in, in the charismatic movement, whenever people are, are uh, striving after gifts, strive for those that build up the church. Really pray for those gifts. And, and I think maybe what you'll find is, is that there's a similarity between that, of asking for the gifts that build up the church, and all these other things will be added unto you in the same way that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 6, where he talked about, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you're worried about will come. And I think we need to understand that truth. We, we need to, to simply seek to be able to speak and foretell God's word more than we need anything else. That's what the world needs is that witness.